Well, again, a happy Mother's Day to all the moms that are out there, whether you are a biological mom, a spiritual mom, a foster, adoptive mom, a woman who desires to be a mom. Uh, we're so grateful for you today. I want to remind you so much that we have for you in the lobby. Don't forget our photo booths, flowers, all of those things. But it's just a small uh, token of our appreciation and gratitude. I've been thinking all week long about the women who have spurred on my faith, the women who have been a blessing to me in my life. And uh, I am blessed and privileged to say that from my youth up until this present moment, God has been kind to me to surround me by some incredible, good, and godly women. Anybody else have that as a testimony in your life? A mom, a grandma, an aunt, uncle, I mean, aunt, <laughs> uh, that God has surrounded you with. And I think one of the best gifts that I can give to uh, the ladies today is a shorter sermon. So let me get to my text as quickly as uh, possible today. But as I begin to think about the women in my own life who have touched me in a deeply personal way, I begin to expand my thinking and think about the great women that God has used to spur on the spread of the gospel. I think about women like Phoebe, who we read about in uh, Romans chapter 16. She was a leader in the local church, a minister in the local church who was entrusted by the Apostle Paul with the great assignment of carrying the letter that he had written to the Romans. And I think about how many times we have taught through Romans or pastors or church leaders have thought th taught through the book of Romans, recognizing that if Phoebe had not fulfilled her responsibility, her ministry of delivering that, delivering that letter, we wouldn't have that letter preserved for us today. And praise God that she was of such high character and such credibility that she could be entrusted with such um, a monumental task. I think about uh, Priscilla. How many have ever heard of Priscilla in the New Testament? Her and her husband, Aquila, were used by God to disciple men and women in the early church. It was her and her husband who pulled this great young preacher named Apollos to the side. They saw that he had a gift, but that he needed to learn the gospel more faithfully, and they, they taught him. Praise God for women who are faithfully serving, and uh, many of which along with their husbands. But then I begin to think about women from church history. How many have ever heard about Lottie Moon? Anybody ever heard of Lottie Moon? I see two hands in the back. Praise God for that. The rest of you need to Google Lottie Moon, one of the great missionaries that God used throughout church history, and uh, God used her to help to take the gospel to the nations, or Corey Tim Boone, or Sojourner Truth, that God used as an abolitionist to pro proclaim the gospel. Uh, God, throughout history, have used godly women to advance his mission, and that's the big idea for today, that God throughout church history has used godly women to advance his mission, and that is still his desire today, that the church only advances as godly men and women both surrender their hearts to the Lord to say, here am I, Lord, use me. And maybe you're a woman in this room, and, and I want to use that, that term to cross the generational span, that God wants to use you in your teens. God wants to use you in your 20s. God wants 
to use you in your 30s and 40s, but maybe you're here and you're finding yourself in your 50s or 60s or 70s and realizing God is not done with me yet. No matter what stage or phase of life you find yourself in, maybe you're married, maybe you're single, maybe you have kids or maybe not, but wherever you find yourself today, God wants to use you to advance his mission. If you don't remember anything else I tell you this morning, women, I want you to remember this, that God uses godly women to advance his mission. Amen? And today, as I think about all of the great women throughout church history and throughout Scripture, we get a chance to look at two of them who arguably God used in the most significant of ways. I'm referring to Mary, the mother of Jesus, and her cousin Elizabeth. And we get a chance to get a snapshot of an interaction that is so significant that it's one of the turning points, I believe, of all of redemptive history. Join me in the Gospel of Luke, the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. And I know that we're not supposed to have favorites when it comes to passages in scriptures. All of it is God's word, but I do have to admit that there is a very tender place in my heart for the gospel of Luke. I just resonate with Luke's writing style. He's so thorough. He says in the first four verses of his introduction, the preamble to his gospel, that he uh, meticulously compiled, went about compiling this gospel in a detailed way to prove and to testify of the works that Jesus did, the things that he taught and the things that he did. And it's, it's in order to invite investigation so that ultimately faith can be produced in our hearts so that we too can declare with many that Jesus is Lord, that salvation is found in him. And it's true for Luke's day, it is true for our day, that those who are looking and in need of salvation, those who recognize, I need grace, I need mercy, I need forgiveness, those who know that our resumes will never earn us salvation, that there's nothing we've done that merits God's mercy, praise God that he offers it to us through Jesus Christ. How many thank God for that truth? Amen. As we look at this interaction between Mary, who is now pregnant, in this narrative, she is now pregnant with Jesus. And can you imagine how that conversation went? And what we would call engaged, what the Bible calls betrothed. She was betrothed to Joseph. She was scheduled to be married to him. She's in this long wedding and marriage process. The marriage had not yet been consummated, but here she is, miracle of miracles. She is now carrying Christ, our Lord, in her womb. This is an act of God's miraculous, super, and sovereign power through the Holy Spirit. But imagine how that conversation went with Joseph. Can you imagine being a fly on the wall as she explains to him, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, it's a miracle. <laughs> Joseph was an honorable man, but even he had a hard time dealing with this pregnancy. And it wasn't anything short of an angelic visit that had to happen in order for him to be convinced. But he was visited by this angel, and it was that testimony that convinced him that what is going on in Mary's life is not only 
not only an act of God, but it is a fulfillment of God's promise that he gave to Abraham, the father of the nation, that he gave to Moses, the deliverer of the nation, that he gave to David, the great king of the nation of Israel. Each one, each in succession, he gave the promise that a Messiah was coming, one who would rule in integrity and righteousness, one who would make all things right, one who would restore the fortunes of Israel, one who would send grace and salvation to Israel and through Israel to the nations. And here she is, a player now in this drama, but no doubt in a very peculiar position. Who would believe her? This damsel, this young girl. But yet we find her in such a vulnerable moment we're seeing how God uses women to strengthen one another and to spur on the mission of the gospel. The first way that God uses godly women is this, is that Christ uses godly women to mentor other women. Look at verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Such a powerful moment. Elizabeth, her cousin, is near 75 years of age, most scholars would say, and her husband, Zechariah, and her living in Jerusalem. The Bible says that Mary, pregnant herself, had to go up to the hill country. And if you've ever been to Israel, you know that wherever you find yourself in Israel, to go to Jerusalem from any place, north, south, east, or west, you have to go up because Israel is at the, the, the top there of that uh, typography, geography, there in the hill country. And so she makes the long trek. And why would she make this long of a trek? It's because she desperately needed encouragement. Here she is, so vulnerable, pregnant, unwed. As the word would spread, no doubt, this would be a scandal of scandals. She lived in a time and a generation that frowned upon that type of thing. It's changed a lot in our current day. Uh, it's not the same as it was in Mary's day, but to be pregnant and unmarried, unwed in that day would have been no short again of scandalous uh, criticisms would have come. She would have been mocked or made fun of. She would have been a social outcast. And yet it's God who called her to this. It's called God who gave her this tough assignment. I wish I could tell you that every assignment from the Lord came with rainbows and roses. But the fact of the matter is there are certain assignments from God that are difficult, but yet we still must obey. But where do you go when you have a difficult assignment for the Lord? Who, who, who helps you to navigate through that? Who was it that was there for Mary that she could turn to? in order to navigate through the social uneasiness that she was feeling. And this social uneasiness was not just paranoia. It has much credibility. Her thought that they were going to be critical is justified when you read John's Gospel, chapter 8, verse number 41, because what we find there is Jesus in dispute with the religious leaders of his day. And one of the criticisms that they threw his way, one of the ways they mocked him was to say, we are not born of fornication. In other words, we're not illegitimate children implying like you. 
The word had spread, the narrative had spread concerning the, the matters of Mary's pregnancy. It took an angel to convince her husband these rests would no doubt not believe her. But she, here she is, young but obedient. And praise God, in the midst of that moment, when she's rolling through the Rolodex of her mind, wondering where can I go for strength and encouragement, she thinks, I know where I can go. I can go to my cousin Elizabeth's house. I, I'll find safe haven there. I don't know about you and your difficult moments where you've turned, but I pray that you would be for others what others have been for you. I pray that you've had places to turn, women to turn to, to encourage your heart in the most difficult moments when obeying God isn't easy, when, when staying faithful is something that your heart doesn't want to do, when following the plan of the Lord seems to be very inconvenient. I pray that you've had encouragement along the way, people who've been safe havens in your life. But I challenge you this morning to be that for someone else. And here Elizabeth is. And let me just say a word about Elizabeth because as Mary walks into her house to say, hi, Elizabeth, thanks for letting me come over. Elizabeth is also in her own miraculous moment. 75 years of age, but God had decided that that was a perfect age to bless her and Zachariah with a pregnancy. And so here she is, 75 years of age, and now pregnant with John the Baptist, who was going to be the forerunner for the Messiah to declare to the world that this is the one that we have been waiting for. You can debate among yourselves whose assignment was more difficult, ladies, whether it's better to be an unwed teen mom or whether it's better to be a 75-year-old pregnant woman. That is beyond my pay grade. I will let you debate that. But yet both of them facing their own challenge of being obedient with God. But, but in many ways, Elizabeth had an advantage because she had had a lifetime of experience of walking with the Lord. So here she is, maybe a cup of tea set, maybe a bed prepared, maybe a table of welcome to say to Mary, I know you don't have a lot of places to go. But you can come here. And I am willing to give you all the wisdom I have amassed in my short life that can help you to know what it is to be faithful to God, even in the difficult seasons and stages. And maybe you are here this morning and you find yourself in a difficult moment or season of life and you want to bail on God's plan. I want to encourage you like Mary, stay faithful, but maybe you are an Elizabeth, nothing but a table of welcome, a living room to sit down in, cup of tea, but open up your heart and open up your home to be able to be a safe place so that you can pour into women. If we are going to be a church who makes disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples, we need women who have mastered the art of mentoring other women. You know, when I joined this church now almost five years ago, one of the early questions that I had when I came on the team was who's doing discipleship here? Who is 
multiplying disciples here. Many names were given to me. Praise God for that. One of them was uh, Tom Gitter, who was on stage this morning, who has dedicated his life to investing into young adults and encouraging them to serve the Lord, and even now getting ready to lead a team to India to serve the Lord. How many thank God for Tom and that commitment? Amen. One of the other names that was given to me was Kelly McClellan. I'm super grateful for Kelly. Kelly has served this church in a number of capacities, and I got to give a big shout out to her husband, Jim, who currently is serving as the vice chair of our, our elder board. When the story of Woodside is written, I'm sure their names will be a part of that story. For years, Kelly has poured herself into the women of this church for a season leading as the women's ministry director of this church. And even now, our current women's ministry director, Misty Legler, was discipled by Kelly. Praise God for women who know what it is to be used by God to take all that's been poured into them and over time and through many acts of kindness and hospitality, through powerful moments, seen and unseen, are willing to invest that into someone else so that they too can have a testimony of obedience to the Lord. Those things are what advances the mission not only of a particular church, but of the kingdom at large. And I encourage you and challenge you and implore you to be that type of woman. Be an Elizabeth who pours her life and is a place of welcome for the Marys of the world. Because if this moment doesn't happen, woe to us. Because if this moment doesn't happen... Our redemption hangs in the balance. How many thank God for the Elizabeths of the world and of our church? Amen. This also gives me the opportunity to just mention one of the great convictions of the Christian faith, and that is that life begins in the womb. The fact is, is that John the Baptist is here leaping before he was born. Before there was an ultrasound to confirm it, before science caught up with Scripture, before DNA discoveries confirmed what we already knew, the Bible testified to the fact that life begins in the womb. This is no political statement. This is pre-political. This is pre-partisan. This is the word of the living God. And in order... For us to carry this conviction, we have to have the inconvenient conversation around abortion of what's being aborted, or more particular, who is being aborted. And what the enemy would try to do to convince many vulnerable women, many women who are facing overwhelming and challenging circumstances is to convince them that what's in your womb is not valuable, that the world won't be deeply altered if you abort the mission, if you sacrifice this child on the altar of difficult moments. And my heart sympathizes. I don't know what it is to be in a difficult pregnancy, but I will say this, that what's in the womb of an expecting mom is far more valuable than what Satan would ever want you to believe. And praise God that Elizabeth did not 
believe the lie of the enemy and praise God that Mary did not question the value of the baby that was in her womb. Because of their obedience, a Savior is born who would live a sinless life and would go to a sinner's cross and would pay my debt and yours and would offer to us salvation after he rose on that third day, demonstrating all power was in his hands. How many thank God for our Savior and for the obedience of the women of this story who helped to make that narrative possible. Women, be a mentor, be a discipler, and watch God use you. Well, the story goes on from there, and it picks up in the next verse. And it says, and she, concerning Elizabeth, exclaimed with a loud cry, blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Let me just categorize this as that one of the ways God uses godly women to advance his mission is that Christ uses godly women to bless one another. Elizabeth needed this moment, but so did Mary all the more. Mary in the season and the moment in which she makes this visit didn't have a lot of people singing her praises, didn't have a lot of people who would call her blessed. As a matter of fact, as I said earlier, she's probably standing feet planted in the firm soil of obedience by herself, ready to receive the, the criticisms of her community, ready to take the onslaught of the lies of our adversary, the accuser of the brethren, who will often say to you, did you really hear from God? Or maybe did God really say? That's what he did to Eve. Or maybe saying to you, you've been foolish to trust the Lord. Today I want to remind you, you have not believed in vain. That you are blessed. And let's be clear on what makes Mary blessed. Elizabeth saw it, and I hope you see it as well. When she looked at Mary, it wasn't her possessions that made her blessed. It wasn't her apparel that made her blessed. It wasn't her uh, accolades or accomplishments or resume. It certainly wasn't likes and friends and followers on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter that made her blessed. This was no popularity contest. The only thing that Mary had going for her in that moment was her obedience and faith to the Lord. Listen to me, women and men who are eavesdropping on this message. What makes us blessed is our obedience to Jesus Christ. If you want to be a blessed woman today, know that it has nothing to do with socioeconomic status. It has everything to do with your heart to the Lord. And if you are obedient to God, he will in the end justify that obedience and he will reward that obedience. So Elizabeth was right in calling her blessed. And today, for every obedient woman who have trusted the Lord through difficulty and hardship and loneliness and challenge and affliction, I want you to know today you are blessed. 
You are blessed. And I praise God that Mary had a sister in her life who could tell her she was blessed. And we're going to see in just a moment how that radically transforms Mary and how she sees herself. But I want to challenge you again, sisters, to look at another woman, in particular in her difficulty, who has chosen to trust God and tell her she's blessed. I pray that we would create a culture within this church where women could come in from different stations of life, maybe out of addiction, maybe out of a lifetime of bad decisions, maybe out of a broken or abusive relationship, and that they would come here and trust in Jesus and be surrounded by a band of women who will tell her that the lies that have been told about you are not true, who will look her in the eye when she feels at her lowest and tell her you are blessed. I've seen this. I've seen this in action. Last year I was invited by our missions pastor, Don Anderson, and his wonderful wife, Sue, to go and visit the nation of Nepal. Nepal is a nation they carry very deeply in their hearts. And you know how it is when somebody loves a group of people, their love becomes infectious. And if you were to talk to Sue Anderson about Nepal, you would see her eyes light up, her love for, in particular, the, the young women over there swells every time she talks about them. But there is a hard work that's going on over there. It's a work of rescuing young girls from human trafficking. Tens of thousands of girls are trapped in the prison of human trafficking, in particular at the borders of Nepal and India, where many of them have been lied to, tricked, kidnapped, persuaded because of their poverty, that somehow this is a pathway to a better life. We have a missions partner over there, Our Daughters International, that's rescuing girls, literally rescuing girls, about 1,100 a year or so, rescuing girls and giving them a passport to a new life. And I got to admit, it was hard sitting there and hearing the stories of these young girls. What was redemptive and beautiful and powerful is seeing the transformation that happened in the girls who have been in this safe house. And by the way, we helped to sponsor and fund as a result of the generosity of our spiritual family over there, a safe house where about 60 young women can find safety from the threats all around her and be built up in Jesus. And what was powerful to me is to see girls who had been rescued, poured in to, discipled, built up, now serving the Lord, now being used to rescue other young women. What was powerful is to see them look into the eyes of a young girl confused and dazed and wondering and overwhelmed who had just been rescued and to say to her that your obedience to following God is not in vain. You are blessed. And how that radically shatters the walls that Satan builds around those young girls and and frees them to be able to worship God and to see themselves as God made them fearfully and wonderfully created. Praise God for works like that that are happening. But ladies, I challenge you, be an Elizabeth. 
Look into the eyes of a young woman who's at her lowest. Look to the eyes of, a, of, of, of maybe an older woman who feels weak and overwhelmed. Look into the eyes of someone who, who needs to hear, you're blessed. But I don't have much money. That's all right. You got a great God. You're blessed. But I make so many mistakes. That's all right. Your God loves you. You're blessed. But you don't know my track record. That's okay. Every one of us has a past. But because of Jesus, now we have a future. And how many thank God for that future that he promises us that we will be with him forever and ever because we have trusted in him. You are blessed if you have trusted in the Lord. I promise you a short sermon. I'm about to lie. Break that rule. Let me land this plane. So then we see... Mary's song, this beautiful song of Christmas. And what we see is that Christ uses godly women to, to uh, point other, others to, to himself, to point others to, to God. Look at how her song points people to God. It says in verse number 46, and Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, for now on all generations will call me blessed. She wasn't saying that before, but since Elizabeth spoke to her heart, now she is convinced she's not the, the worst of these. She is blessed because of her faith in Jesus. Going on, verse 49, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has sought, has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the, in, uh, the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich. He has sent away empty. He has helped his servants, servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. And he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. Mary is so encouraged by Elizabeth that now she is broken out into praise. And this is one of the great songs of church history. It's called the Magnificat. And it is a song that we who have been Christians have reprised in every generation, singing of the greatness of our God, that he not only prophesies, but he pulls off what he prophesies, that he is mighty, that he rules the nations, that over every square inch of created order, Christ declares mine, that the heavens declare his glory, that angels bow before him, heaven and earth adore him. What a mighty God we serve. And as she's singing about his greatness and all that he's done, she says, but don't forget his mercy. He is great, but he is merciful. And maybe the climactic verse of this entire song is verse number 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That means all of us qualify. That any one of us can have access to the salvation that our God offers 
that it's an act of mercy. This isn't meritorious. Don't offer your resume to Jesus. It won't stack up. There is no condition by which you have accomplished that he is obligated to save you. No, that's not how this thing works. The way that it works is that a gift has been offered to you. And today you have the opportunity to receive that gift. Not trying to pay for that gift because when you try to pay for it, it's no longer a gift. But when you say, I am undeserving, I did not merit this, but thank you for this gift, then you can experience the joy of knowing that his mercy is available to you as well. And so today, ladies and all the men who are listening, I want to encourage you to put your trust in him. And for anyone, no matter what your background is, no matter where you've been, no matter what mistake you've made, you may say, Chris, you don't know what I've done. And I would say, and you don't know what I've done, but I do know this. That there is no sin on earth that's greater than what he did on Calvary. Praise God for the blood that washes us clean. And today, if you trust in him, you too can know the salvation that Mary knew, and you too can sing to our great God and King. Everyone stand all over this church. If today you have yet to trust in Jesus, do so quickly. Know that at the front, we will have after our closing song of worship, leaders here to pray for you. Ladies, as you exit today, don't forget our booth uh, for photos, flowers. But know this, today's sermon isn't so much about Mary. It's more about the Savior that redeemed Mary. Mary needed salvation. So do we. She found it in Jesus, and so can we.